Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Liverpool Blood Red podcast with me, Ian Doyle. Joining me today is not our full-time Liverpool reporter, both home and away, James Pearce. He is away at the moment. Also not joining me, if you haven't heard, our two of our regulars have now left the Echo Parish. That is Andy Kelly, our former LFC editor, and Neil Jones, who's gone on to Pastures New, which you can find out for yourself where he's gone, but it may be that thing what you put the ball into. He's, he's announced it now, I think. I yeah, think I know, I know. Exactly, but we don't really like to talk about our, our rival rivals. Oh, but he's never Neil's a still a good friend. I'm sure he's listening, and yeah. if he's not, then uh, he's missing out. He's gone to gold.com. Give yeah. his stuff a read. However, with me is our social guru and all-round good egg, Joe River. Hi, Joe. Hello, Ian. And also a special guest appearance. He's been on it before. Yeah. He's on it again. It's Liverpool fan Dan Kay. Hi, Dan. Hello, Ian. How are you? Very well, thank you. All the better for seeing you. Oh, that's nice. Very, very nice. Like a, no one ever. An emergency loan sign. <laughs> we're, we're thinking of making payment. Um, thinking, don't, have we told him that we'll, yet? We'll Make see me a deal. We'll speak to my agent. Yeah, yeah. Speak yes. to my agent. Now, Dan, I know that you were at the liverpool Watford game yeah, on, I was. on Saturday, as was I. James was not there. He's very lazy. Um, but it was quite atmospheric, not just in terms of the weather. Uh, interesting game, 5-0 for Liverpool. Good way to respond to losing to Manchester United. And, of course, four goals from Hamid Salah. It was a great response, really, to the disappointments of Old Trafford uh, the week before. It was also a, a really good way to send the Reds into an international break. I'm always one of these that I, I hate it when we have a bad result going into a two-week off because I know how much I stew on it and I can imagine how much the players do as well. But um, bearing in mind, sometimes we always like to think a Saturday 5.30 kick-off is a guarantee of a good, good atmosphere. is isn't always the case, I, I, I find. But you, I, I draw the example of Newcastle the fortnight before, which... It was a nice, steady regulation 2-0 win, but it was a bit mundane. I think the difference maybe on Saturday partly might have been again a slightly atmospheric Paddy's Day stroke Christmas Day type conditions, but also as well this new song, this LA, LA, LA song that has taken off that provided a fairly constant backdrop uh, to a resounding Liverpool performance. Um, Watford have proved themselves to be difficult, a bit funny opposition really, because it's only a couple of weeks ago they battered Chelsea, didn't they? But then dipped mm. quite badly at Arsenal the week, uh, the week before we played them. I don't think but, they played particularly badly at Arsenal, but the the kind of if you look at their away record before the weekend, I think they've only taken one point from eight games. Yeah, which kind of says it all. Well, I think what was key was that Liverpool never really gave them an opportunity to get into the game. There was maybe a slightly sloppy five ten minute spell from the Reds um, midway towards, through towards the first half yeah. when it almost really looked like they were getting possibly a bit bored in terms of how generally easy they were finding the game. But then, once the, I think what pleased me more than anything else, particularly in the second half as the game wore on, was that hunger that the Reds showed for more. Where even after they were three, four up, they were still harrying and chasing down and pressing, and there was that real hunger to kind of put put a really good performance in and put a really good scoreline on the scoreboard to finish kind of this little segment of the season. And I think everybody shoots out of Anfield. Very, very cold, but very, very satisfied with what they witnessed. I can confirm I was very, very cold, especially up in, up in the press box. It, but the wind, uh, the wind was coming in, it was taking the snow in, mm. and it was coming in and la- landing, there, landing yeah. on your uh, laptop, and it was melting and making it wet, and which, as anybody knows, water and electrical goods do not mix very well. No, it's anyway, a shame you didn't get electrocuted. Hey, we, uh, yeah. Yeah. we live in yeah. I'm sure there will come another time soon where I will yeah. probably stick the kettle in the in the bath or whatever the hell you're supposed to do. Don't. Uh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> sure film it live for the website. Yeah. Taking a dark twist. <laughs> yeah. It'll happen. Uh, Joe, you were watching on television. I was um, here. In you were. Office, yeah. You were for, for, for one of the last times as well. Because we are about oh, to yeah, move yeah, on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Everything's all changed here. Yeah. Um, 
But what did you make of Liverpool's performance? I mean, as, as Dan said, the first half, it did look like they were getting a little bit bored when they went 1-0 up early on, but the second yeah. half ended up becoming the Salasio, didn't it? It was about as routine a 5-0 win <laughs> as, they, as they can be, isn't it? I think, I think what was key was the early goal. I think when you play it, especially at home, we all know that teams like Watford or, or, or any sort of any club that, if you like, isn't in the top six, we all know their game plan is always to come sit and stifle and to to let Liverpool sometimes do the damage to themselves, get frustrated and and um, shoot themselves in the foot, which we've seen many times in the past. But because of that early goal, you could see that Watford's plan had gone out the window. You could see that Liverpool were, were quite confident then. And, and the, the game opens up, and once the game opens up at, at Anfield, Liverpool can take any team to, to pieces, can't they? So um, Salah was out of this world. One of the best solo performances I've ever seen at Anfield in terms of in terms of any of Liverpool's players. Really? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think the way he took his goals, the, the hat-trick goal, I think, is one of the best goals yeah. you're going to see. And I don't think really enough has been made of it. The hat-trick goal, the little touch he takes with his right foot mm. exactly. to sit down two defenders and the goalkeeper. Mm. I mean, Because it gets blocked otherwise, doesn't it, yeah, if he yeah. doesn't take exactly. that touch? How, how many other players would just swing a foot at that where he was, but he never is never rushed, is he? When, he? when he gets into goal-scoring positions, Salah... He just takes his time, which is strange because early in the season, if you, if you think back to Man City away, for example, he did tend to rush things. Yeah. But the yeah. more goals he scored, the more calm he's become. And he was just so calm in that game. It was incredible. Going back a few years, remember the goal that Iniesta scored for Spain to win the World Cup in South Africa? Yeah, 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 Holland in 2010. Yeah. I remember reading it was deep into extra time, wasn't it? 115th minute. I think Torres yeah, it was nearly, nearly towards the end, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Torres put the ball in, actually. He just come on as sub, hadn't he? But I remember reading a, a brilliant phrase, I think, that summed up afterwards that I think applies to, to Salah's third goal here ball was kind of flicked over to Iniesta and he, had, he kind of rather than rushing his shot he just let the ball bounce and someone referred to it as the pause of a genius hmm. and I think that's the great sports not just the footballers whether it's cricketers golfers tennis t- tennis players that whole thing about playing the ball late and not rushing what you need to do having yeah. that kind of composure and certainty in your own ability is a very, very rare quality and very few sportsmen have it and I think Armo does and it's it's just phenomenal. Thirty six goals, we're not even into April. In forty one games as well. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's that's that is ridiculous in, in a way. I mean he's top scorer in the Premier League by four, he's top scorer for the European Golden uh, shoe, I think by three from Messi. And leading gonna, scorer in all five in the top yeah. five European leagues. And I'm going to mention the yeah. end. Well, there's one one got player who scored more but he's, goals, but he's, he's in, Portugal, in Portugal, so his factor is like yeah. not they quite. Get, he they don't get as many. Jonas, yeah. 31 goals. We mentioned the M word there, Messi. I mean, you mentioned that third goal, yeah. the first goal as well, to a degree. They were goals that you saw Messi play against Chelsea last week, where everybody was raving about the fact that the game was very close, but then the minute you saw Messi got the ball, you just thought he's going to score, especially the second one that he scored. But he just and that was a bit like. What Salah does now for Liverpool, isn't it, Dan? Where he, you know, he gets the ball in the second half. Every time he got the ball, he thought, well, they're gonna, they could have a chance of scoring here. The only time I've seen Messi live thus far, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen in the Champions League this season, was when he came to Anfield in 2007. He was about 12, yeah. though, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. <laughs> he was. I think it really was maybe his first or second season. He already had a bit of reputation. Obviously, mm. we were 2 1 up from the away leg, lost 1 at home, but went through. But I just remember every time he picked up the ball, there was a, a frisson of. <laughs> You don't get those sort of words with other people in the middle. Yeah, so we we're, were inviting you back yeah. more often because yeah. we like yeah. this vocabulary. Like, yeah. We might Classic need subtitles yeah. on the podcast. If you can, I'm yeah. trying to get Wangle invited to the European Cup final, aren't I? Yeah. Um, no, every time you picked up the ball, you could just sense in the crowd, everyone just like edged onto the 
Yeah. That, that little bit of electricity came in the air that you just knew this was a special player, even at the very, very start of his career. You hear that you noise, that. all the seats, all the seats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that noise. Um, and the extraordinary thing about Salah is that you know, he scored this, in, this incredible number of goals, also had you know, created a fair few as well. And yet you look at his performances and you, you, can, you can detect a certain wastefulness and you kind of think, it, you know, there's times when he does look a little bit haphazard, a little bit off balance. And yet he just has this ability of, of making things happen, of being in the right place at the right time. His positional sense, his movement and his football intelligence is... Well, I have saw a lot of people saying over, over the weekend on social media and so on, I never thought I'd see a player as good as Suarez in a red shirt again. And I have to say, for my money, he's at least on a par with the Uruguayan already. Yeah. He's a very different kind of player, though, isn't he? For a start, he's not mm. a striker. He's not a central striker. I think well, no. Jurgen Klopp was speaking after the game in his, his breakouts for the Monday newspapers, and he basically admitted we had no idea he could play up front. And admittedly, he doesn't do it very often, but he just floats into those positions, doesn't he? That's where he, yeah. he tends to get a lot of his goals coming off the right flank and just, yeah. just being there like the, the, the second goal. Yeah. Where he was there for the tapping, that was yeah. exactly the kind of goal a centre forward would normally yeah. score. Yeah. Well, that, I think it's the way Liverpool play, isn't it? I think if he played in any other team, I think he'd struggle to do that because Liverpool have got a forward that allows him to do that. Firmino's runs and the way that he distracts or or drags defenders around—it's difficult to defend against, isn't it? Because even though you know Salah's the main threat, because he stood over to the right hand side for for a pretty percentage of the game, that I think they can't exactly sort of. Man mark him as, as as such. I think I think Firmino does a great job for him, and I think if you look at that first goal, the cross comes in, and, and Firmino's dragging defenders this way and that, and he comes stealing in the back post. Um, sorry, the second goal. But um, yeah, I, th- I think there is Messi-esque qualities to him. But I think the one thing he has got with Suarez, which I didn't think I'd seen many footballers as relentless as Suarez was. Yeah. Suarez was never he'd never stop, and he he was a different type of relentless in the sense that he was all. That's, more that's, that's not more just him yeah. though, is it? That's Firmino. That's to a slightly lesser extent Manny as well. It is, it is. But but the way Salah does it, he's ruthless and he, he never ever stops. And he, you know, you, you got the feeling that there's some players who who will score a hat trick and almost just enjoy the rest of the game, whereas he just carried on and carried on and still gets himself into positions and and was unselfish as well because the fourth goal, of course, he he tried to give it to fantastic. But follows it up, doesn't yeah. he? He didn't stop. He didn't yeah. admire his great. It was almost great like pass. he said, hey, "You, you yeah, scored." Yeah. He's like, oh, "I'll do it myself." Half tongue in cheek. I'd said this morning to one of uh, one of our colleagues in here. That I was a little bit annoyed with him for not deliberately hitting the bar with the rebound to, 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 to give it back to Ings because I, I I'd love to see Ings and Solanke get get yeah. off the mark goal wise. Yeah. I do have this slight concern that obviously our front three are unbelievable. Yeah. Any team in the world would want them at the minute, but if God forbid one of them is to get injured. You do have a concern that, that our two backup strikers do not have one senior goal between them this Same, season. We have, we have spoken about this before yeah. before mm. in the podcast about that. But I thought Ings, not just in that game, but when he came on against I think it was Porto away, he looks Look sharp. He looks sharp, yeah. he looks fit, and he looks like. Just needs the goal. The goal. Yeah. I kind of think the, the, the chance he, he got from Salah, if, he, if he's got a couple of goals under his belt, I think he just knocks that into the near post. Yeah. But when we all know, when, when you, you, you need a goal, you're just that little bit more tense and. Um, Stiff and you're finishing, oh, and, oh, but it'll oh. come from. I hope. Sorry, Joe. Yeah, I, I think he needs games as well, doesn't he? And it's difficult for him right now because mm-hmm. touch wood. One of the great fabulous things about those front three, by the way, is they don't spend a lot of time out injured. And again, I'm touch touching. Wood. I'm touching wood. <laughs> yeah, but, but he literally is touching of, a table. Yeah, I'm, I'm both hands. With, 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 all, all, with all, all, all thirty fingers. 
But it, but it's incredible, isn't it? That the, the players that considering their styles, they're all pretty much all action. They're they're all they're all pacey players, but they don't get injured a lot, and it hasn't given Ings a chance really. And because mm. and they've gone out of cup competitions earlier than they they would have liked, he's not really had a chance to come in. So um, I don't really see him even getting much of a chance in the, in the last few weeks of the season. Might, because might play against Palace. I think he might play against Palace. Well, what do you think? Yeah, I think he might. Because it depends on what happens with the internationals because there's always there's normally always one player that comes back and he's not quite 100%. He did exactly the same thing last year at Stoke, if you remember. Yes, but and yeah. That was the yeah. uh, where he started with Woodburn. Trent Woodburn, Woodburn, yeah. Yeah. Woodburn in midfield, wasn't it? In a mid- midfield three? But yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a national day. Yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah, I was in here as well. Yeah, we were, we were both in here. Um, I wasn't. I remember where I was. Yeah, I was in Wales. <laughs> but, I was fuming to miss it. I'd have been there otherwise. Great anyway. second half comeback. Well, that was the famous second half comeback that mm. because Andy Kelly, by the way, was listening to it on the radio <laughs> on a feed that was about two minutes behind what was happening. He was celebrating it, making one all by the time Liverpool had gone 2 1 ahead. And he, yeah, he did it was really. quite close together, weren't they? Anyway, coming back on to uh, present day. Um, that is something that he did last year. He made a few changes after an international break, yeah, yeah. and this is the last international break before the running. Mm. So it's possible, and I think Ings is not just the only one. Look, Ings is ready to come in. Joe Gomez came in. You know, he's ready. Uh, Matip has been rotated with Lovren. The midfield, all three of them have been interchangeable. Mm. Lallana yeah. looks like Lallana could play for England. He left with the blessing of, of, of Klopp, yeah, that he could yeah, play, even though he wasn't involved at the weekend. Emery Chan looks like he's fine. Just had a bit of a sore back because good? it was a bit cold. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Klopp said. He Pleasure. said, oh, he had a little bit of a problem and the cold didn't help and he hurt it and so he yeah. went off. So maybe he just needed a rest or a war. What's interesting in terms of, you know, the, the kind of team he picks at Palace, obviously after Palace there's a seven-day... Well, no, no. No, it's thinking. It's yeah. City. Yeah. Well, the thing is, Palace starts this kind of this yeah. massively intense week and, you know, Klopp sees a bit... He was a bit agitated, wasn't he, in his press conference on Friday, the fact that, you know, the derby being moved and we could have ended up with... City on the Tuesday, Evan at the weekend, City on the Wednesday. So, like, those three intense games over eight days, as it is they're over six days. Yeah. And that's really just kind of like the look of the, look he, of the draw toss of the coin. Don't but... He's got a lot of time for the half-12 kickoffs. to be honest. No, I think no. he would have been OK with Evan being at three o'clock, if I'm being honest, yeah. for what, what it sounded like. But half-12 just completely ruins the whole thing. You've got to be up really early, so that means you can't train as late on the Friday, mm. so on and so forth. So you miss Not travelling, supposedly. But well, still, that, but they still have to go to the whole routine, don't they? Yeah. yeah. So I think yeah. that's what he was upset with. But you know, it is going to be... Well, I got a message from a mate last night saying, you know, this, you know, it's a long time since we've had one of these kind of weeks coming up. And, we've, you know, this, this ultimately is what we all love football for, what we all follow the Reds for, do you know what I mean, for... So, all right, it's, it's intense for players, it's intense for spectators, for fans as well, do you know what I mean? Getting the tickets and getting to games and stuff, but this is the business end of the season, this is where we want to be. This is how many seasons in the past have we got to February, March, and we're just going through the motions mm-hmm. already talking about next season. It's fantastic that Liverpool are in this position again, and I can't wait to see how it all pans out, because we've got a, a team to really enjoy and be proud of at the moment. Well, that's what Klopp has actually brought to Liverpool, hasn't it? Because 20, last season they were looking for the Champions League, the season before they were looking for the Europa League. Mm-hmm. Okay. In fact, 2015, they got to the cup semi-final, although that was kind of... Yeah, it kind of fell away. 2014, the title challenge. So, there have been... They're kind of getting back towards where they want to be. But, you know, Dan's right. This is like... Hang on, it's a European Cup quarter-final. And they're still challenging for for second in the league. Mm. I almost think Klopp doesn't get as much credit as he deserves, really, in terms of... If you think about when he came in and the, the excitement, I mean, I, I was in the, I was in here the day he did his first press conference, and that week oh, yeah. was just I don't think I've ever seen fans as excited 
about signing as they were for Jurgen yeah. Klopp's arrival. It was it was, a, it was a really exciting time to be involved in in covering football, and and I think you you look at it now, and we almost I wouldn't say we we take him for granted, but he's he's been here a while now, and I, and I think you're now seeing the team that he's he's built, and he's built an incredible team. He's built a team that can score from anywhere. He's brought in some fantastic players. He's got Firmino. All right, Firmino wasn't his signing, but he's turned him into a, one of the, yeah, the, the league, if not about. Europe's best forwards. Um, you know, he's he's brought in Van Dijk, one of the best defenders. You know, I know he's only a few months into his Liverpool career, but finally looks, looks classy, part, doesn't he? So I think Klopp's been Liverpool's most important signing in the last ten years. You know, and, and longer, yeah, longer, yeah, and and he's now created this incredible team. We are now excited again about watching football and about. Liverpool being in the top end of top competitions. Glad you mentioned uh, Van Dijk then, because he's yeah, going to yeah. be next on our little list of conversation yeah, topics. Yeah. Um, I think it was Klopp revealed after the game that Troy Deeney waited uh, afterwards in the tunnel and shook the hands of all of Liverpool's, uh, with yeah. all the players. But he certainly shook the hands with the defenders and with the manager as well as to say, well done. I mean, Troy Deeney, I must admit, I didn't even realise he was playing until the second half. He no, came out no. the second half. I thought, when's he come up? He said, <laughs> I genuinely didn't know. Um, but... You've seen Deeney, you've seen other other strikers of his ilk give Liverpool defenders that may have been called Martin Skull a bit of a <laughs> bit of a problem in the past. But you mentioned you know, Van Dijk, he he's been there. What was it? Nearly three months now. Yeah, and he's obviously January. had the he had the little bit of bedding in period as well. But he's he's just a fine wine. No one, if, like I think, no one ever mentions. Oh, is he worth seventy five million? No not one, even, no, no one. It's not even a question, point. is it? Not you've not question. heard it spoken about by pundits. You've not heard it debated I mean, about on podcasts. You've not heard it. You've not even seen it written written about. He's just come in, and he's slotted in. He's been, it's been quite quiet, hasn't it? It's, mm. it's, but that's what you want. You want centre centre halves to be seen and not heard in terms of. You, you just want them on the team sheet every week and not really being talked about because mm. you know they're doing a good job because they're not making rips yeah. and errors. Yeah. Yeah. That's why that's in the past the we were yeah. talking too much about the likes of Skirtle or Lovren or others. Yeah. And, he wins um, every single header. If you watch, even just all the little ones, he constantly recycles it for Liverpool by just winning the headers, knocking it down. And I thought he was so in control against Watford. I, I just think he brings this air of calm, yeah. assurance yeah. to the rest of the backline, and it, and that spreads throughout the team. Yeah. And even if you know, Saturday was a game when they weren't put under any tremendous pressure, they Watford still have played. Well, we still, the opening day of the season, we saw how they you know they caught they scored three goals and caused this problem from set pieces. Now, over you. Know, that feels like a lifetime ago in terms of like the lifespan of this of this particular Liverpool team. Oh, but I was going to say only one of the five, the back five, the goalkeeper who started that game against Watford actually started the game. Really? Yeah, on um, because I think it was Mignolet, Trent, Matip, Lovren, and Moreno. It's interesting. I, I think one of the key things for Van Dijk though as well, it's it's not just the assurance that he's given. I think he's dragged other players up alongside with him. I think both like. Lovren, had, Lovren and Trent both had you know difficult a difficult afternoon at Old Trafford the week before, but I think particularly the likes of Lovren and, and Matip, who I think for a lot of supporters the jury was very much out on the two of them. Um, I, I think and probably certainly and probably still is to a certain extent. Yeah. I think he has given them a lift. Yeah, I, I, I think their game. Yeah, I think, think, think Matip has got better since yeah. since since, Lovren, uh, yeah. since, uh, not since, since uh, Van Dyke came in because you're right he's, he's kind of brought that. He's allowed the others to flourish because they're not thinking, oh, who's taking responsibility for this? Because Van Dijk's coming and gone, yeah. I'll take responsibility for this. Yeah. You, worry lead, about, you worry about your own yeah. game and I'll look after this. But that's why you talk about Watford not causing Liverpool many chances on Saturday. And I think, but I think that's partly because he wins everything so early. Mm. 
and and gets Liverpool straight away on the front foot. So Watford can't get out. I can't build and, pressure. Yeah, and they can't build pressure. They can't get to the final third. I think he's been a massive part of the improvement in this side. And um, if they can sort of nail down, I just want to see a bit of consistency alongside him. Robertson seems to have nailed down the left back place. I mean, I like both of the lads at right back, but I'd like to see one of them sort of become. You don't think it's horses for courses at right back, though? You can get away with that. Yeah, I suppose position. so, yeah. In yeah. terms of you want, you want to go more on the attack, Trent comes in, or defensively, Gomez. Gomez. And then, of course, they've got Klein to come back. Um, and I think. I think He's been using the other centre half as horses for courses, if you like. Yeah. yeah. When Liverpool are at home and when they're not expecting as much of a battle, he brings in Matip. When you when you flip it round, he brings in Lovren. But I would like to see a more consistent. I think a, a more consistent defence. I thought Clavin might have played against Watford. Did he was on the bench? Yeah. I just thought I just thought it might have been a game just to give him a run. Have they actually thought, played together, Clavin and Van? Dijk? I don't think Clavin's actually. No. Has he played since Van Dijk? Since, since, since I don't think he's played since. since he's did he have a little injury? He did, yeah. He had the illness, didn't he? He lost like loads of weight, didn't he? But, uh, I've got a lot of time for Ragnar. Ragnar the Red. <clears throat> I, I think you know, what has been also a key, not, so much, not, not to the extent that Van Dijk has, but I think you know, the emergence of Robertson, I think, yeah. Yeah, you know, I think it has to be applauded and, and commented upon because he has been, he, he just looks like a Liverpool player. Everything he says, everything he does on the pitch... He's young, I'm sure. He's, you know, at Old Trafford, for example, after that, you know, and I, I was there, you know, uh, last weekend in the away end, and at half an hour, I was thinking, "Here we go again." You know, it was. It looked like it, it was in danger of becoming another carbon copy of some of the miserable afternoons that we've had there, or even just the two <clears throat> very dispiriting, compre- <coughs> comprehensive defeats that we've had at City and Tottenham this year, yeah. and the way that they kind of, it, it, you know, it really it seemed to me it was it was Van Dijk and Robertson in that kind of um, <clears throat> that spell, to, you know midway through the game when we were kind of on the rack a little bit that kind of helped steady the ship kept pushing Liverpool forward kept making sure that you know when we don't get dragged into kind of like uh, a vortex of rage and despair to, to, to bring in a, like a film phrase from, from from somewhere kept us on an even keel and gradually we kind of seemed to get more of a kind of foothold in the game the ball that he put in for our second goal on Saturday against Watford yeah. Oh, I think was exactly what you're looking back, looking for from your full-backs into what you know, cricket has always called the, the corridor of uncertainty. Didn't, didn't Stephen Gerrard call it straight after the game? Corridor of uncertainty. Well, it's, it's an old Jack boy. Call so, it. Yeah, it's, it's nothing. Yeah. It's nothing. No, no, but that, in terms of... But he gets up and down and and, he, and I think every, you know, everyone's already looking forward to the, to the European games and seeing if he can repeat his kind of uh, chasing... It mad chasing flurry that he did against City in the league game. You no. want sorry, sorry before you move. You want you want your full back to almost again like centre half. Almost before you know it, have racked up hundreds of appearances for Liverpool over a, a number of seasons. You don't want to keep chopping and changing them. And I, I get the feeling from Robertson he could be the type of player, almost like a bit of a Steve Finnan, who in a few years' time he mm. could just be an automatic pick. We don't talk about left back position because he just slots it's not in. even an issue. You yeah. want someone there who's a back and, at the back and he league, plays ninety percent of the games every yeah. season. He, he just strikes me as that sort of player. He's consistent. He doesn't. He's not too flashy, but he's good. He's good in the final third, and he and he's relentless, isn't he, at the back? Now there, there was something that happened in the crowd at the game on Saturday, Dan. And I believe you if you witnessed it. Well, well, no. I, I mean, I, I was. I've, I've heard a couple of. Stories about. I mean, my my ticket is in the the upper what's now it's the upper Kenny Dalglish stand, but <clears throat> it's 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 been well documented. It well been well documented. I think Andy Kelly mentioned it in his analysis after the game that some of the supporters were, well, one or more supporters were ejected for the ground because some of the stewards were 
stewarding in a rather overzealous and heavy-handed way, so some supporters said, as regards persistent standing in the cop. Now, it, it is obviously a very delicate yeah. issue yeah. at the best of times. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people have commented, I did myself earlier on just now, about how you know, the atmosphere was really very decent on Saturday and this, this new song has really got everybody going. Mm-hmm. People obviously were getting up and down a lot anyway because there was a lot of goal map action. There were five goals and lots of chances. And I, the way Andy pitched it in his um, in his report was along the lines of let the supporters support. And I think that's something that a lot of people feel very strongly about. And I think it, you know, I, I believe that you know, there are discussions going on behind the scenes and no concerns have been raised to the club themselves. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next couple of days because obviously the next match at Anfield a fortnight tomorrow against Manchester City, is certainly a game that everybody is going to be wanting an absolutely jumping atmosphere for. And, you know, a few people were making the point that they very much doubt stewards will be asking people to sit down then. So I think people would like to see a little bit of consistency on that issue. But it is a a tricky one. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I think they... you, you meant to sit down at football now and and we might not like that or agree with that. It's the law. You're meant to sit down. And and whether... it's hard to comment. I wasn't. I wasn't in the cop. I don't know too much about it. I only know what I've read from Andy mm. and what I've heard from 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 the likes of yourself and and other people talking about it. It depends. I don't know how they they dealt with it. Whether they were too heavy handed, if you like, but you know, they probably say it as we're only enforcing rules that are enforced upon us. It, it's a, it's a difficult one. I, I think Liverpool have got to be careful in terms of how they how they respond to this because I think yeah. in times in the past. PR-wise, you know, they haven't covered themselves in glory in terms of ticketing, for example. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that they need to have a healthy relationship with their supporters. They can't they can't be battling them. And, like no, we should all be singing from yeah, the same hymn sheet because yeah. ultimately we all want the same thing, which yeah. is a vibrant Anfield supporting a winning team. Yeah. Obviously, there are, there are things we have to bear in mind, like the law, like the safety yeah. aspects, and also as well, like, like, like the aspects of people who may not be able to stand up throughout the match and, yeah. and have paid yeah. good money and want to see the match. And that's why this is one of the, the strong arguments put forward by those who seek to have safe standing or rail seating areas within yeah. football grounds. That That's one of the key arguments on that basis, the whole element of choice. Um, obviously, it became a bit of an issue in the summer when there was the vote yeah. uh, conducted by the Spirit Shankly, the Liverpool Supporters Union. Um, I believe they are shortly to be taking a trip up to Celtic um, to take a look at exactly how it works there. And that's something yeah. that we'll be will be keeping an eye on, and, and um, I think it's an issue that, that isn't going to go away anytime soon. And it's just one that everybody needs to handle delicately but sensitively, and, yeah. it, you know, and, and also with the knowledge that it isn't going to go away. People want to stand at football matches. People want to, to show their love and their support for the team, and yeah. hopefully with a bit of smart thinking and compromise and thought, you know, an, an acceptable solution can be found that suits everybody. Yeah, but it is the pressure, I think, of such standing area, because I think... In terms of, I've always sat in the main stand, and where I sit, uh, where I sit, people sit. It's it, you know there tends to be an older demographic, if you like, in terms of supporters, mm. and the old person who's turned up to a game and tried to stand has quickly been told by the people sitting around to sit down. And, and I think it would a safe standing area. You know, I, I, again, without getting too much into the debate of whether they they should or shouldn't have one, the one thing it will bring is allow those people who want to stand a place mm. to stand. And, and make life a little easier on other supporters and on, on the stewards and, and, and for the club, perhaps. Yeah. It wouldn't make any particular difference for European games, though, would it? Because UEFA rules 
mean that, that they have to. Absolutely, and in these in these grounds in Germany, which have already the rail seating areas installed, it is they have a mechanism where basically they can it, it can turn into a seat. Now, that, yeah. of course, that doesn't stop people standing during passages of play, and probably in big games they probably end up standing for most of the ninety minutes, just like supporters do at grounds up and down the country in this country, particularly mm-hmm. away from home. Um, so it, it's such a layered, awkward, complicated topic. Yeah. But it has been, you know, it has kind of popped up to the fore again this weekend. Um, and we'll watch with interest to see how things develop. Just talking generally, what have you made of the atmosphere at Anfield this season? Does it help, given the fact <clears throat> the, the quality of the football that they're watching? Compared to, like, say, Manchester United, who are second and are probably going to get to the FA, might get to the FA Cup final, might win something. Mm. But their fans are just not happy at the fact that they're paying the money to go yeah. and watch a team that might win games, but they don't like the way they win them. Whereas Liverpool fans are watching a team that... OK, they've got a very good home record, but they don't win absolutely every game. But you no. know you're going to be entertained. I mean, I think it, it, like, it's never going to be bouncing for 90 minutes every single game. I still, you know, I, I think we can, when we need to, we can, we can turn it on like nobody else. And, you know, Manchester City discovered that in January and they're going to discover that in a couple of weeks' time as well. I think in general, though, I think it has been a bit better. Um, and I think Saturday you know, is quite a good example of that, really. All right, it was, it was probably a more conducive kickoff time. With the you know, later on the weekend, people have had a chance to relax and enjoy the build-up to the game that little bit more. But I think, like you say, a lot of it is to do with the general sense of positivity and progress around the club. And you know, I, I think it's, it's a good analogy you draw with with Manchester United there, Ian, because I've got friends and family that, that do support United that go to matches. Your friends support United? There you know. Yeah, well, I'm family, Joe. Yeah. Man of the world here. Um, <laughs> And even if, I mean, frustratingly, you know, I'm someone that has very little time for Mourinho and his whole attitude and approach to the game. It does bug me that we still haven't beaten them since he's been their manager um, yeah, for the best part of two seasons now. But there's so little patience with him. And that is because, you know, in many ways, his approach is the antithesis for what their club stands for, Manchester United. I mean, I'm, you know, I've lived put in all my life. In many ways, I've... Nothing but disdain and contempt for everything that they stand for, but no, no. But the, 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 but the point I'm trying to make, and particularly going back to the Ferguson, and particularly Ferguson as an individual, couldn't bear him. But the one thing I would always have respect <laughs> for him for was the fact he was always prepared to risk losing a game in order to win it, and that to me is the essence of sport. This whole kind of safety first, belt and uh, belt and braces approach. That's not why we all love the game. That's not why as kids. Well, famously, United won the Champions League in 1999 because they tried to play that yeah. safety first, yeah. keeping everything, and we'll get and well, wrong. well beaten yeah. by by Bayern Munich. Should have been out of sight, and then they went, oh, forget this, and then just threw everything on. They, they managed to do it. That's just, it. That was such a typical. If Istanbul was in some ways a typical Liverpool way of winning something, you have to say that what happened for United in 99 was a very United way, and that, that's what they're getting mm. away from. Well, I'm just going to turn into a Manchester United <laughs> podcast, but it is. As we say, it is a point that's worth making. But in terms of, sorry, of what Liverpool fans but, are yeah, watching. Yeah. But I think that's why he was so agitated as well in his press conference on Friday. When you know, We've all seen some mad press conferences over the years, but he was properly on one then, wasn't he? And I think that's because he knows that they don't rate him. You know, I mean, a lot of United fans didn't even want him beforehand, even though they were in a bit of a mess post-Van Gaal, post-Moyes. A lot of them just felt he isn't United. And even you know, the best part of two seasons on, with a couple of trophies in the bag, it's, he's not doing it for them. At the risk of talking about Liverpool. Um, oh, go on, I, 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 When you talk about atmosphere and you talk about style of play, though, it, this mm. style of play does not help contribute to a good atmosphere. I think back to my, exactly. my match-going life and, and 
the majority of mine, a little under Evans when I was young, and then again this this will this will show your age when when I talk about this, but a little under Evans when I was young, and then most of my sort of teenage and early twenties under under. Gerald Dooley and Rafa Benitez. Dooley was already in the away piece. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and I, I remember going to those games, and especially towards the, the end of their reigns, yeah. the, game, the style of football was poor. And it also, because they weren't doing so well, it contributed, and there were some terrible atmospheres. I oh, mean, it was horrible. That was inter- remember the Soonish years, by the way? Soonish were painfully well. But. You could argue, in some ways, the games were actually quite entertaining. Well, the one the, thing, the, as it started to kind of go down, well, I think go, go downhill under Sooners, did it ever really go uphill? But particularly those last couple of years, the one saving grace there was was he had the young players, yeah. Fowler, McManaman, and Hutchison and so mm-hmm. on coming through, which gave him which gave him a bit more goodwill, even though the results were poor. And a lot of the mm-hmm. time, the football was poor. But the, it, when there were young scousers like that, there was that kind of speck of hope there. Yeah. But yeah, I, I totally agree with what you. I've used this myself as an example numerous times before. The, the final seasons, really, of of, of Hule and Benitez, even though I've you know both got great admiration and gratitude for both of them for what they did yeah. for the club overall. It, it, during those spells, going the match did feel like a chore, and, and, it, and it was painful. People, it was sad, the, and it was like well, that was people like, were bigger. And that was like the last few weeks of what should have been the end. Been looking looking back at Rogers' reign, yeah, yeah. culminating yeah. in Stoke, and yeah. I think there, I think yeah. they just allowed them to. I think looking back, it's probably because Klopp said, "Look, I don't fancy going straight into yeah, another job." Yeah. This clearly, yeah. we, we don't know that for sure, but you that's would, the it's easy to put yeah. two and two together and come up yeah. with that, which was a bit cruel on Brendan there. I think yeah, he was obviously yeah. a dead man walking, mm. but but it was the same. Yeah, you can tell in that in that way. You can tell that this is a Liverpool team on the up because the way the crowd of people actually looking forward to going to the game. And and I think you, know, I mean, uh, Klopp's program notes ahead of the game on Saturday, which were kind of being flashed on social media on like mm. Friday night, Saturday morning, went into quite some detail in in, in the atmosphere in the away end at Old Trafford. You know, not just at the end of the match, but you know, but during the, I mean, it was it was great at the start. You know, that song was booming out, and then obviously we were kind of hit with those two sucker punches, and then we we all were kind of like a bit stunned and shocked. I remember at one point the United fans singing quite loudly, you know, "Your support is." Not the best, um, but first chance. Yeah. <laughs> I paraphrase, of course. But but after that kind of a little kind of you know we were kind of getting our bearings just since the fact that all of a sudden we were two 0 down, the atmosphere from the team that you know was losing most of the game and lost the game was not what you would expect. And it, and it, and it, you know if if you, if someone was looking at that scene, the various videos that were being uh, taken off the away end during and after the match, you would think that we'd actually been the ones that were. Coming back down the M62 with three points rather than none, and and that again just taps into that feeling that this is a club going places, yeah. and, and people are prepared to accept the odd setback, however frustrating and and painful, certainly when it involves defeat to Manchester United, it is people will people will afford that a little bit more understanding because of the general sense of well-being surrounding the club. Final question then. Ginny Wanell did an interview, I think it was last week before the game. It's only come out today with, with ESPN, uh, where he was asked about the Player of the Year award, PFA Player of the Year award. And obviously he can't vote for Salah. And he said, are you going to vote for him? He says, I'm probably going to vote for De Bruyne. He says, but I think it's between De Bruyne, Salah and Kane for yeah. Player of the Season. It was interesting because I, I know, Dan, me and you from the old days, because we are officially ancient certainly compared to, yeah. compared to compared to Joe oh yes is that um, young Mr Snapper I've got 100% of the hair in this room mm, yeah, yeah well at the moment it. anyway at the yeah. moment yeah, we'll you know come back the in, yeah we'll come back in 10 years yeah um, I'll probably still be here then um, 
What was the one I was saying? Oh, yeah. So the, so the, player, <laughs> the, the player of the season. In the old days, it would get voted for in like January or that's February. Right. They because they changed that? Yeah, because that's no. the thing. He said oh, that he hasn't put his vote in yet, and that was last week. So, question is, is it right to say that Salah, De Bruyne and Kane are the three who are probably up for player of the year? And if you could vote for anybody, who would get your vote? Ooh. Dan, do you want to take that hand grenade? <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Thanks, mate. Yeah, that's why I have, a, I have a, little a bit of thinking time. Would you like me to answer first, then? Go on, would Ian. You, like me to you, can first, even, then? you can answer first. I would give it to the Egyptian Messi, Mohamed Salah, for a number of reasons. One, obviously the goals. Two, OK, he's in, a, he's in a team that scores a lot of goals, but so is De Bruyne, so you could say he's Kane, actually. Mm. And I know De Bruyne is a slightly different player. He doesn't score as many, and he creates a lot, and he's overall a better footballer than Salah, but... So last first season in England, yeah. apart from that time at Chelsea, which looking back, that actually served him quite well, but didn't really, wasn't any great shakes. And he came in as Liverpool's club record signing. He's hit the ground running, and he's just not stopped, has he? No. I, I mean, I, I, I think I think most Liverpoolians will find it very, very hard to look past Salah for the, the Liverpool Player of the Year and you know, and, and a Premier League Player of the Year. I mean, I would still maintain. As I, as, as I said, while Coutinho was still here, for me, the fundamental player to Liverpool's success and future is Roberto Firmino. I, I, I think he's the most intelligent player I've seen in a red shirt probably since Kenny Dalglish. Yeah. Well, that's cut, that's cut, quite, quite a claim. We career. should definitely get you on it. It'll be more I just love everything about his attitude. The fact that he looks like he just walked out of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> and then when, when we started thinking, what the hell have we got here? But, and, and he, you know, his goal, you know, he's really kind of kicked on with goals. I think he got 23 for the season now after only getting 11, I think 11 and 12 in the previous two seasons. But it's, it's his intelligence, it's his movement, it's his appreciation of the game around him and his teammates around him. And, and I think he's shown real character as well, particularly in the last couple of months, because I did have a, a worry after, you know, it was, it was very evident that he was very close to Coutinho on the field and off the field. They were great mates. And, for his, and once his mate went... I never expected him to throw the towel in, but I just kind of thought, is his heart really going to be in it? Is he kind of like already going to be starting, kind of just going through the motions so he gets his move away? And I think, if anything, he's gone up another couple of levels. And I think he's phenomenal. But, but in terms of what Salah's done this season, I think what makes it really special, I mean, you, you made the points, but I think I can see the elements of truth in it that his is, is, is difficult, difficult previous spell at Chelsea... Um, has probably helped him. I think at the start that might have been a bit of a noose around his neck because mm. people would have been people would have been been expecting him to fail, and he would have had this kind of well, can I do it in this league? All right, it didn't work out well last time. He'd done quite well in Syria, but since day one, when it, when he um, you know scored at Watford, he has just been a revelation and a joy to watch. And he just he he just exudes this whole kind of sense of just enjoyment and he just the, the, the He's relentless and aggressive in his attitude, but he doesn't seem to have any of the nastiness to him. He just seems like a lovely lad, and I think everyone's there proud of him, and long may it continue. Oh, no, Dobbs can take him over. Have, yeah. have, have you answered the question? Would you say Salah was your player of the year? <laughs> yes, that was yeah. a bit long-winded, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How would you follow that? Um, I, I've, just, I've just thought, it's the reason Moreno's not playing now is because Coutinho's not there, and, and Klopp's just gone, I don't need to play him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> may have hit upon something there, Ian. Yeah. I absolutely love Kevin De Bruyne as a player. Mm. I love watching him. I think he's same a fellow blonde. Uh, yeah, not he's a fellow, for me, by the way. Fellow blonde. He's a, it's not the reason I like watching him. I, he's an incredible footballer. Both feet passes the ball so well. Scores goals. He's strong. He's aggressive, and, and he sees again a well-rounded, decent fella, decent pro. 
Yeah, I, I, I do love him, but it's hard to take it away from Salah, isn't it? Yeah. Especially after you, after games like Saturday, where you think he's not just getting one a game and, and, and sort of contributing. He is, he's taking games by the scruff of the neck, and I, he's just been incredible. And, and I think maybe again, ask me again in a month's time, but right now, if you, if if I had to choose, it'd have to be Salah <coughs> because he's just been brilliant. And, and everything Dan said, I don't really think there's too much you can add to it. But... No. Well, one thing I just would add, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I really don't want to go out. That's incredible. No, just in, in terms of his attitude, it's always a lovely lad, which yeah. is a bit, maybe a bit of a soft way of putting it. What I meant was, his ability, his, his, his numbers, and the way he plays, he does have a certain arrogance about him. And, and it absolutely deserves to have that arrogance because his ability completely backs it up. But he seems so modest and yeah. humble. But that to me, in, 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 mm. in the, way the, the way football is now, the way society is now, that to me is arguably the most refreshing thing about him. He is, he's so down-to-earth and level-headed. And he's a fantastic ambassador for, for our club, his country and himself. And long may it continue. He, he does play a little bit like, like a kid, doesn't he? Like he mm. just, he's just enjoying football and, he, and he, he wants to score as many goals as possible because yeah. it's fun. That playground-type enthusiasm. And even mm. when you watch him sort of celebrate goals, there's no like pointing to himself or over-exaggerated yeah. celebrations or even anything planned. He sort of yeah. does the same thing every time where he just almost looks surprised. Like, yeah. Oh, I've got, got it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah, he, he, he is a, a really, really good character. So We like I him. I really do hope he wins play of the year. <laughs> um, but... I, if it goes to the Brunier, well, yeah, off to phenomenal, player, phenomenal player. Right, that should do us. Join us later this week where I will try and drag James Pierce in to do some actual talking about football. Cheerio.